this is Jordan Beal. Welcome to the Rock of Grace podcast from our Kinsman campus. We are passionate about leading people to follow Jesus together, and we're so glad that you're opening the Word of God with us today. I pray God speaks to your heart. I haven't mentioned anything about prophecy in a long time, so just real quick, you know, someone just shared with me a couple weeks ago when I prophesied to him, we were talking in the foyer. He's like, dude, I don't understand. I've never told anybody that, that you were saying the exact phrase that was going on in my mind the last month. Um, prophecy simply it tells someone that God loves them. Everybody hold up two fingers with me. Say, God loves them. Oh, that was weak. Come on, y'all. Say, God loves them. God loves them. Hold up another finger and say, God knows them. That's what prophecy does, okay? It encourages people to use Paul's words. It edifies. And you know what's interesting about a prophecy? It edifies the whole body, you know? So the whole church feels that. Don't you guys feel that when someone's prophesying? You feel encouraged in their encouragement. And so be open to God using you in the gifts of prophecy. That's right, because 99.9% of prophecies do not happen on a microphone. They happen over a meal. They happen in the foyer. They happen at Aldi's. God speaks to you and speaks through you to encourage someone. Amen? All right. I know some of you don't believe me. Some of you look at me like, mm, I don't know. God will speak to me. Yes, he will speak through you and he wants to. And God's word says to, to seek that gift and let him use you. All right. In his book, Hillbilly Elegy, a memoir of family and culture in crisis, newly elected Ohio Senator J.D. Vance identifies what amounts to three challenges, and my iPad died. That was awesome. That was not in the sermon. This, I have a printed copy, so it is okay. <laughs> Did anybody see that Snickers commercial a few years ago uh, with the iPad died on the pastor? Did anybody? No? Okay. Can I just tell it to you? Because it was really funny, and my brain just remembered that, and I'm kind of ADD. Um, there's a Snicker commercial, and this, this pastor is doing this funeral, and his iPad dies, and he goes, and it's this blank, you know. He's like, we're here today to remember Frank. <laughs> and the wife goes, no, Billy. <laughs> Sam? Oh, man, it was hilarious. It was maybe just funny to me as a pastor. Anyway, just me and Trevor, apparently. All right. Um, some of you are like, I am too mature to laugh at that. Listen, get over yourself. That's funny. All right. Three challenges he mentions. First, in communities, there's a deep lack of meaningful social connection, that vital network of relationships that connect people with resources, work, and education opportunities. Second, there's this dearth of character formation, he says. The values of hard work, of honesty, church attendance, they're given a great amount of lip service. Third, a deep lack of hope, which results in an attitude of deep pessimism and resignation that the way things are, and people don't believe that their lives actually will improve. I think that no matter where you're from, what community you live in, that these challenges are very real no matter where you go. Whether you're in rural Ohio or where I was in Cleveland this last week, you can see this sense of sometimes pessimism or lost or hopelessness. The real means of tackling these things are only found in the church. This is why this is just a short series called Plant, where God has planted the local church in every community, in most communities. In fact, that's why we have a church planting mission here is because we believe this. The church is the hope of the world, just like 2 Timothy says it is. Everybody say this with me. The church is the hope of the world. Now, you might think this building. No, no, not the building. 
the church, and you are the church. Turn to your neighbor awkwardly and look at him right in the eye. Say, you are the church. Okay? So let me first say what the church is not. This is something I wrote two years ago in a little uh, blog that I thought would be helpful today. The church is not a place uh, that you might have inferred online where a celebrity pastor is to be worshipped or worship leaders to be praised, encouraged, sure, given icon status, no. The church is not a place where perfect people gather on Sundays to affirm that they're in the right group and that only they were included. Don't assume that. The church is not a dystopian subculture where we hide our problems and believe we have none. No, that is not the church. The church is not a group of Republicans gathered to stand against a political party. While most values that are deemed Republican are biblical, one does not equate the other. We are not pushing a political party. We are part of the timeless kingdom of God. Who's a, who's a part of the timeless kingdom of God? All right. Bringing people out of darkness and into the light of Jesus. The church is not preachers and sneakers, a place where any man is elevated above the other. It's not a place for selfies or self-anything. The church, the real church of Jesus, is a group of people that are overjoyed that they're forgiven of their sins, past, present, and future, forgiven by the Son of God. Can I get amen? Jesus, who came as a man to make them sons and daughters of God. That is the church. You are the church. The church is a group of individuals who, are no, who know that they're being gradually transformed, formed into the image of their older brother, Jesus, who left his throne in heaven to save us. They do this by allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us, to die to self, to prefer others above ourself. The church is a group of Jesus followers who believe that Jesus really can save and restore anyone. Everybody say anyone. That's why you gotta be careful if you ever look around church and be like, they let him in here. They let you in here. Okay? It's a good spot for an amen, right? <laughs> oh, man, I'm about to get preachy. And this is my introduction. I'm about to bring the fire. Who's ready for the heat today? You guys ready for the fire? All right. I'm not, I'm not even to point one yet. All right, here we go. The church is the place where we invite each other to grow together in our faith. We're all are invited to grow in our understanding of who God is and who we are. Jesus did not die for a silent church. He died for a victorious church. The church is designed by God to bring diverse people from all walks of life together. Think about the church and only the church is where the rich, the poor, the connected are all gathered together. No matter how much money is in the bank, no matter how much education you've had, the church, everybody said the church. It's a beautiful place where black, white, Hispanic, Asian, all, every, every color, shape, size, every political party, every background, economic status are welcomed and loved, invited into the family of God. There's no other place like this. There's no other place. I remember just a few weeks ago looking over and seeing a doctor praying with someone and it just overjoyed me. Because you just, only the church, and the doctor didn't even know what was going on in that person's life. Only the church can bring together people from different places in society. Whereas society would want to compartmentalize you, right? The church brings you together at the foot of the cross. Amen? Who's thankful for that? Let's look at this in Acts 19, Acts 16, rather, verse 9. 
actually, it won't be on the screen today. I was in vacation, or uh, on vacation, rather, in Cleveland. I'll wake up to screen, make screens for you. I was chasing five to 50 children, so I'm very tired, but I did have three coffees, and I'm ready. All right. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing in a vision. So he's having a, a dream, but it feels real to him, okay? And he says, come over to Macedonia and help us. Come over and minister to us, the vision, the guy in the vision says. When Paul seen the vision, immediately we sought up to go to Macedonia, including God has called us to preach the gospel to them. Now let me pause. I'm going to interrupt myself and just say, there will be people, right? Uh, there's one very influential pastor today who is really go, going hard after charismatics and saying there's no such thing as visions, as dreams, as healings. You got to be really careful who you tune into, because that is not true. Jesus still gives visions. I literally had someone tell me last week they had a vision of Jesus standing at the foot of their bed. Muslims have visions every day in the Middle East. Muslims are having visions every day. Is anybody else reading about this? Yeah, thank you guys. Muslims are having visions of Jesus every day. So visions, miracles, signs and wonders, prophecy, these things still happen. Can I get an amen? Okay, so just in case you're like, what? Yes, if you're tuning in online, Jesus is still alive. Amen? All right, so set, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct village, or voyage to uh, Samothrace, however you say that, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi. But I want you to remember that word Philippi, because we're going to come back to that, which is the leading city of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to a woman, uh, or women who had come together, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. But the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said. After she was baptized and her whole household was as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So who is Lydia and why does it matter? Right? So she was a worshiper. She considered herself religious, spiritual, but God opened her heart, the Bible says, to the gospel. Right? To the gospel. To the fact that who Jesus was and that Jesus was the Son of God who died in her place. So Luke said that Philippi was a foremost city. So I did a little research on what that means. Remember we talked about Corinth two weeks ago? I did two weeks about Corinth and that there was a port city. Philip, Philippi was a port city. Right? So just like Corinth. But unlike Corinth, it had just been renamed in 168 BC by Alexander the Great's dad, whose name was Philip. Pretty audacious to rename a city. Can you imagine being in a, in a board meeting? Hey, everybody, I have, a, I have an idea. I mean, it's, it's pretty audacious to say I'd like to name a street after myself. Can you imagine being at a meeting? Hey, everybody, I think I'm so amazing. This city should be named after me. That's pretty audacious, right? But that's what he did. As you can imagine, Alexander the Great's his son. So put a lot of ambition in the family. So they take over, he takes over the city. It becomes very Romanized, if you will. And he sets up this kind of subculture. Well, now the gospel is being preached there and God is transforming lives. So these four missionaries evidently set themselves up in the city. They're waiting for the Sabbath, it says, to preach. As usual, Paul looked for a place of worship, but he could not find one. So what did he do? He sat by a river, it says, and started speaking with some of these women and preaching to them. And this Lydia stood out to them. God opened her heart. 
she was an entrepreneur. She was a businesswoman. Everybody say businesswoman. Remember we said, in the kingdom of God, it's everybody. It's all in. It is all in. So God got a hold of her heart and God used her in a powerful way. She had a lucrative business, right? Purple actually resembled royalty. So a lot of her, her commerce was obviously or likely uh, with royalty. So her invitations to stay in the palace indicating she had plenty of extra rooms. This is a wealthy home in a big house. <laughs> I just, I'm gonna reveal my 90s. Anybody remember big, big house? Come on, where we can play. Uh, what? No, ping pong. Who said ping pong? No, well, we can play football. This is America. I don't know who said ping pong, but just the only person not welcome in the church. I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. You're welcome. Get your ping pong out of here. All right. <laughs> we can play. Let's give it another try. Big, big house where we can play. Thank you. You're Christian. All right. Appreciate that. Just kidding. All right. What was I saying? Totally distracted. Lydia, Lydia had a big house. She welcomed, this is my point. Don't miss the point. Jordan, don't miss the point. She welcomed these guys in and made her house a house of worship. This is so cool. I'm doing a, a series I'm, I'm writing for the upcoming month called Sacred and Secular, where, where sacrament meets the, the secular, where, where holy meets the tangible, right? She has the house, but at her house, it becomes a house of worship. It becomes a place where they're discussing who God is. Uh, last night, we were just hanging out, had a fire and making s'mores. And a neighbor walked by, one of my friends, who's become a good friend now, Jeremy. We've had a lot of moments where he's just walking by. We start talking about God. And as I dropped him off, it began to rain at night. And I took him home. And I love what he said. I want to pass this on to you because I want this to become normal in all of our lives. He said, I love how we can just hang out for four hours with no plan and just talk about God. And I said, me too, man. And we started talking about marriage and life and different things. We're doing life together. And it's so cool. And his thing, it's just a backyard. Everybody just say it with me, it's a backyard. See, the back, your backyard can become a temple right? Your backyard, your living room can become a house of worship because the church is you. You are the church. You are the hope of the world, right? That's a good spot for an amen. Ever say amen? So Lydia was hospitable towards these missionaries and she kind of wanted to, she said, just come to my house. I want to prove to you that God has opened my heart to the gospel. Let me, let me, she actually said, come see for yourself that the Lord is, is ruling in my life. It's amazing. Now here's what's amazing. As you keep reading that, she leads a slave girl to Jesus. She mentors some, listen, in what other place do you see the, the wealthy business person love, befriend, and accept the slave? only in the kingdom of God. This is phenomenal. Now what happens next? Look at Acts 16. The disciples were beaten and they were put in prison. So we'll pick up at verse 23. They had afflicted many blows upon them. They threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received the order, he put them into the inner prison, fastened their feet and their hands in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. 
And by the way, that should, all, that should already shock you, right? A lot of American Christians can't sing and, and, and sing hymns to God unless it's like, you know, AC and comfy four-hour chairs and the lights. And I got to have, I got to have Cadence and Destinies sing me into the presence. Listen, you can enter the presence of God with jail cuffs on. Jail cuffs? That's not what they're called. Help me out. Handcuffs. Thank you. Thank you. Jail cuffs. I know. I'm going to hurt you, Nolan. They were praising God. Man, I could preach so long right here, but I won't. In prison. When's the last time you praised God in the midst of a really hard time? That is powerful. Now look what happened. Suddenly there was a great earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword. He was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Now you might say, well, why would he do that? You have to realize the Romans were ruthless. So if you, if you let the prisoner out, it's, it's on you. Right? So he knows the sword's coming to him either way. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, don't kill yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights, right? And he rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before them. They brought them out and said, sir, what do I need to do to be saved? I mean, if you heard these guys singing and worshiping and in the midst of their worship, all, everything, all, all, their, all their cuffs, thank you, what's the word again? Thank you. Handcuffs. All their, everything broke open and the door is broken. You'd be saying, uh, whatever you guys got, I want that too. Who's with me on that? Okay. What did he say? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Now we're going to come back to just the simplicity of the gospel in a little bit, but I want to just real quickly say, believe in the Lord Jesus. He didn't say, what do I must do to be saved? Well, you must attend a Baptist church for 11 and a half years, attend membership and teach Sunday school and one day join the board and then you'll make it. Barely. It's actually not what he said. What did he say? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody say believe. You say, Jordan, that you're making it too easy. No, the Bible says believe in the Lord Jesus because Jesus will transform you as you look upon him. That's the gospel. He transforms you as you believe, as you look upon him. They spoke the word of the Lord to him. All everyone who was in their house, he took them the same hour and washed their wounds. Come on, can you see that? The same man who was beating them, imprisoned them, is now washing their wounds. Wow. Only God can take a heart that is hardened, that's brutal, and soften it in a moment and transform it. Only God can take someone who's full of anger and rage and regret and turn them into a servant, washing the very wounds of the supposed enemy. He was baptized, he and his whole family, and they brought them into the house of God. And I love this. He set food before them. Y'all know I love to eat. I know you can't tell because I'm skinny as a rail, but I love to eat. And I think that is in the, I think it's in the Bible a lot. Like Jesus shows up after resurrection. He's like, you guys want some fish? Like he's always eating. So I, I think there's something spiritual to eating together. And can I get a witness? Come on. <laughs> Jeremy felt a witness on that. He's like, I'm in barbecue after this right now. I just got him hungry. All right. 
So in this one church in Philippi, you have a businesswoman, you have a slave girl, you have a blue-collar worker sharing space in the family of God. It's so beautiful. The thing that makes the church so special is that it's for everyone. No one gets left out. No one gets turned away. And if you ever buy into this idea that I belong here and they don't, you got to really guard your heart. You got to be really careful. Everyone is invited into the family of God. Amen? The real church does not push aside or push out members who begin to question their faith. Friend, doubt is a beautiful thing. Doubt is the beginning of faith. Doubt's the beginning of faith. Yes, you're allowed to ask hard questions. Absolutely. Remember what I said before a few months ago in preaching about Thomas? I think it's terrible that he got that nickname, Doubting Thomas. I think if Jesus nicknamed him, he would have called him Honest Thomas. Maybe he was the only person honest in the room. The real church does not push aside people with tough questions about God or the goodness of God, or if God was real, he would have not allowed this, or if God was real, he wouldn't have allowed that. We all have grief, we all have heartache, we all have things that we wish would have happened that didn't happen, right? It doesn't change who God is though and how good he is and that he does have a plan to renew all things, amen? So you gotta give space for people to grow, for people to wrestle with their faith. This is why we have life groups, so you can wrestle with your faith. It's good to ask hard questions, to be the person to speak up and say, you know what, I just, I have a hard time with this verse. Will you guys help me with this verse? You guys okay? You guys doing okay? The church is a place for people to grow as a family together to make meals and share them with each other, to say like Jesus, hey, you're forgiven. We're not throwing stones at you. The real church is passionate about living according to God's word. They know it's the only infallible truth that not their opinion, but that God's word. So they go to God's word. We have a difficulty, we go to God's word. We wonder what to do, we go to God's word. Amen? That's why I love the church. We don't always get it right, but we are trying. We grapple with things. We grapple with grace. We grapple with truth. I love the church when I get to see every day in my life, I get to see it all the time, is people showing compassion. People telling me, oh, did you know that they were in the hospital? I'm like, oh, I didn't know. And they said, oh, I just visited them yesterday. I got to pray with them, brought them in. I'm like, oh, man. Everybody pastoring one another, shepherding one another. It is beautiful. It's the most beautiful thing. The church is the hope of the world. Local churches, when they're carrying out what God designed what, what God designed is to bring people from spiritual death to spiritual life. Spiritual death to spiritual life. Tom Nelson in his book, Economics of Neighborly Love, says this, spiritual formation of a more virtuous people is an important task that the local church is uniquely empowered and positioned to accomplish. The local church then is not neutral, or a parasitic actor with symbiotic economic system, but rather a prime value-adding contributor to a flourishing economic and social life. And it is so true. So many times our lives are improved by our friendship, by one anotherness, by caring for one another. Healthy, involved expressions of a church strengthens a community 
meets actual needs. This is why we're doing the food truck. This is why we're, we're, we play that video, why we want to create a food truck where we just give out food constantly. And you say, well, why would you do that? Aren't a lot of people already getting it? Yeah, but listen, a lot of times someone's heart is open to who Jesus is when you solve a practical need. Just a few weeks ago, I was at Free Food Friday. And as I handed someone a, a box of meal, a couple boxes actually of Italian meal, I, I, I said what I said to everyone. Hey, is there anything I can pray with you about? And he said, yeah, actually, I'm really stressed about this. And he talked me through this relational problem that's going on with, with the relationship, most important relationship in his life. And he kept saying, I think it's so cool that you guys do this. Where's your church again? Where's your church again? You see what I'm saying? Oh, we, man, you guys actually care. We have to get out of our little bubble, don't we? We got to get out of our bubble. Turn to your neighbor in case they're not paying attention and say, hey, get out of your bubble. Galatians 5.22 says what? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I actually had read that, that chapter this last week in a devotion, and I thought it was interesting that as I'm reading them, I, that it, it, it puts it right next to each other. Because someone had asked me, I think it was at Life Group, someone had said, what do you think about that list where God lists, you know, these people will not enter the kingdom of heaven? the sexually immoral, the jealous, the envious. And I, I remember telling them, I think it's, uh, first of all, I think it's interesting that God puts in the list sexually immoral right next to those that deal with envy and jealousy and cause strife. You know, because we like to put these, we like to, we like to say like adultery, jealousy, and envy. No, they're right there, right? But what, is, what does he say? He says, but but the fruit of the Spirit, he, contra he contradicts them. The fruit of the Spirit is in complete contrast because when you let the Spirit do His work, you become incredibly loving, incredibly compassionate, incredibly kind. Why? God's Spirit is forming the attitude and the characteristics of Jesus in you. How many of you guys would say that since becoming a Christian, you started to become simply a nicer person? Yes. Yes. Thank you, Nolan. Right? Absolutely. How many would say like your spouse is probably happy that you got saved? Come on. Right. Nobody amen. <laughs> I wish you guys could see my perspective. <laughs> oh, I just saw so many couples. Like, like literally one guy went like that. that I'm not going to point you out, sir. I promise I'm not. I'm so tempted, but I will not. When you let God do his work in you, your life becomes counterculture. The culture is always saying me first. What about me? My, myself, I got to look out for myself. But when you let God do his work, you become incredibly aware of the needs around you and compassionate and willing and desiring to do something. Now, I got to be really honest with you. I was driving here and I was praying about the sermon and I'm praying and, and, and Jesus took me to a moment on vacation where Jesus is like, you know, you need this sermon just as much as they do today. And I was like, oh, why? You ever have God ask you a question you're not quite ready for, right? He's like, well, you know, remember when you were walking with Selah past Walgreens? And I'm like, oh, right, right. So it was like the third or fourth homeless person we had crossed in Cleveland. And how many guys know that as you get older, you can become a little cynical? 
Oh, only two of you are honest. Thank you. Just me and Carrie. That's it. The rest of you don't even aware, not even aware that you've become cynical. So let's try this side. How many of you guys, the older, the longer you're a Christian, you believe in things like capitalism and meritocracy, and we need to work, you know, hard work, you can accidentally become cynical. Yeah. Come on. Just at least raise your eyebrows if you're a little bit convicted with me. At least I was, because I know I saw someone and she said, we're going to give them. And I said, well, honey, sometimes when you give people money, they can just go spend it on, on drugs and we got to be careful and we get to pray about it. And she's like, well, I'm going to do it. And she walks over and gives them money. And I was like, oh Lord, I'm so convicted. And I turned around and prayed with this, with this person. And I thought, man, Lord, make me childlike again. You know, like, God, make me childlike. Yes, I know that sometimes when you give someone money that is begging for money, yes, they might just go spend it on drugs. And you say, well, are you enabling? Yes, I get it. Are you going to solve the homeless problem? No, you're not. I talked about it at length with a friend last night. Not going to solve it. But does it mean we don't take the moment to help them and pray for them? right? Does it mean we lose compassion? No. We have to let God take some things that we deem important and make them less important than compassion. Let me say that again. That's not in my sermon, but this is, hear me. We got to take some things that we believe about the world philosophically, politically, and say, yeah, these are important. Yeah, but you know what's more important? Compassion. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's what the Bible says. It's the end of the chapter that we were about to read. Mercy. And so if we're really going to transform Trumbull, if we're really going to do this thing, Rock of Grace, how many guys actually believe in this thing called Transform Trumbull, where we're planting churches, we're sending people out, we, we want to send out serve teams, we want to say, hey, you, you think, do, do you feel called maybe to preach to pastor? Hey, we're going to pay for you to go to Osam. I just told a young man that last week. Hey, you want to be a worship leader? Listen, I'm going to meet you every Thursday. We're going to talk about what it means to be a worship leader. We're doing this thing called Leverage Leadership. I'm meeting with church planters who say, I want to plant a church. Okay, but how? Why? We believe the church is the hope of the world. It's in the church where the gospel is preached, where people are loved no matter what, their economic status, their financial status, their social status, no matter what. The church is the hope of the world. Amen? But we have to be careful to actually be the church. The local church must, everybody say must. It must be a tangible expression of love. Must. Everybody say must. If we don't have a tangible expression of love, we are not the church. Amen. I'm telling you, we are not the church if we don't have a tangible expression of love. You can actually have a church. Please hear me. Please hear me, guys. You can have a church that has a good sound system that has nice lights, that has air conditioning, that has a good band, that has an encouraging message, but does nothing to affect, affect or improve the community. That's not a church. You can have a social system that looks like a church, 
but the church, people who are actually being transformed by the person of Jesus through the voice of his spirit, trust me, they start going out of their way to love people. They start going out of their way to serve people, to say, are you hungry? Let me give you a meal. Are you a child without a parent? Let me take you in. Are you a stranger without a friend? Come over to my house. I want to make some tacos. Come on, everybody, anybody get an amen on tacos? Come on. Let me close with this. James chapter two. My brother, show no partiality as you hold faith in the Lord Jesus. If a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, sir, sit here in the good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there. Have you not then made a distinction among yourselves and becoming judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to become rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So if you really fulfill the royal law, according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, if you give favoritism, he's saying, if you favor the one who has money, who has status, who has this or that, and you dismiss the one, come on, hear me. If you dismiss the one who smells like drug and alcohol, if you dismiss and you ignore and you show partiality, look at this. You're committing sin and you're convicted by the law. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone said he has faith, but he does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking food and one of you says, hey, go in peace, be warm, be filled without giving him the things he needs for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself that does not have works is dead. You guys know that famous verse, faith without works is dead. Some will say, you have faith and I have works. So show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You see, when you have faith, and you let Jesus transform you, works are just a byproduct. Your works don't get you saved. Remember, nothing you can do, there's nothing you can do to earn salvation. Nothing. None of your behavior awards you salvation. But when we're transformed by Jesus, good works start to follow. They just do. They're a natural byproduct. Guys, I don't know about you, but I just want to be a church that is so real and tangible in our expression of love and faith. But you also have to be careful. I wanna close with this thought. You also have to be careful for the social justice philosophy, which is extremely prevalent among Gen Z, extremely prevalent among those in their 20s, early 30s and below, right into the millennial generation 
this idea of social justice. I literally heard a pastor at a conference. I literally heard from his own mouth, it doesn't matter whether you're Muslim or Christian or whoever, as long as you're loving the poor and the weak. Guys, you gotta be careful because there's still only one way. You can, you can give all your money away and you can, you can take pride in your democratic compassion to welcome the migrant, to give to the poor. But if you don't fix your eyes on Jesus and say, I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins, you're not yet saved. Amen? Only Jesus can save you. Again, your works don't save you. But when Jesus does save you, he will start to change you into someone that looks like and acts like him. You'll start to become compassionate. You'll start to care about the needs of others. There's not this mentality of social justice. As long as everybody has the exact, you know, equity and equitable share. No, that's not, that's not what the gospel says. The gospel is available to everyone. We accept who Jesus is as the one forgiven and we begin to serve one another and give lavishly and give generously to whoever comes across our path. You hear what I'm saying? Despite whatever's going on politically, it doesn't matter because you're giving of who you are. You're giving of the kingdom of God. You've been planted. We're called to bring light in a dark place, to push back the enemy, to push back darkness, to push back lies. I just, I want to be that church that is an authentic expression that looks like the church of Acts. Amen? Can we stand up to our feet? Can I ask if this message, if you're feeling like I want that, I want to be the, I actually, I want to be an expression of Jesus to a hurting world. Can you come up to the altar? I want to just have everybody come to the altar. If you're willing to do that, if you say, you know what, that's me. I do. I want to be a genuine expression of Jesus. And you say, that's a pretty big altar call. Yeah, I know. But I'll be, I'm standing right here with you. I mean, even if I wasn't on the mic, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm standing right here with you. This is one of those altar calls that if I'm, I'm there, I'm going, Jesus, I want to be authentic. I don't want to just know the songs. Guys, the world has enough Christians that just know the songs. The world deserves, I love what Bill Johnson says, the world deserves an encounter with Jesus. And you are that like. Can you guys come on a little bit closer? I want to have everybody come forward. Just give a little more space to people in the back. You are a city on a hill. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. So don't put it under, don't put that light, right? Don't cover that up. And when you're at work and you have an opportunity to speak up on behalf of someone who's being wronged, speak up. That's what it means to be a light. You have an opportunity at your job site to be generous, speak up. The second somebody says, oh man, I'm so stressed over my finances, pay for his lunch. You say, oh yeah, but Jordan, I'm broke too. Listen, the whole world's broke, okay? Just let, let, just let Jesus, like he'll, <laughs> he'll figure it out. I can't tell you the number of times I've given out of my need and the next week I get blessed. 
Isn't that the more joyful, fulfilling Christian life than just living in such fear of just like what I have and what I need? No, Jesus today, I believe today is a turning point for Rock of Grace because he's turning us into a people who are not so concerned and focused on our needs, but instead aware of the needs around us. Come on aware and ready to love. So listen, if you're a business owner, your business is a ministry, right? I've heard countless stories from Jimmy and Jesse, my sister, my brother, who tell me who they prayed for, whether it's an employee or a customer or somebody. There's, there's moments when the Holy Spirit just wants to enter the conversation. There's moments when God just want, like in, in the real estate or whatever that new, that new job in Pittsburgh, there's moments where you're going to just be in a meeting, right, Jessica? And the Holy Spirit's going to say, Psst, they're worried about their mom. You say, oh, that was an out of nowhere thought. That's the prophetic. That's the Holy Spirit saying, pray for their mom. You say, oh, Jordan, I don't hear God like you do. Yes, you do. You just don't believe that you do. Yes, you do. He is the shepherd who speaks to all of you, who speaks to all of us. So he's ready to speak. He's ready to love people through you. We just have to be willing to love people. We gotta be open to loving people, open to being the light, right? We've heard testimonies, right, of dental hygienists praying for people. I mean, that's pretty cool. They're already pinned down, so you kind of have nowhere to go, right? But it doesn't matter where you are. Jim, if you're coaching again, if you're, if you're on the field, there's gonna be boys there who have no role model, no man in their life of integrity, of honor. And you can show them what that means. Every single one of you have an opportunity to be the light of the world, not to just to attend church, not just to attend church, but to be the light of the world, wherever you are to take church with you. Cause you are the church. You are the church. Literally someone could sabotage this building. It could be burned down. Do you know, like, I would be really sad, yes, but I wouldn't be actually devastated. Do you know that? Because my hope is not in these, these are bricks. These are bricks and carpet. We can get some more. You are the church. You are the church, the city on a hill, the light. Everybody put your hand right here in your heart. Let's just make this real. Let's just pray. God, we ask you right now, can we just, we just however you want to say this in your own words, just, Father, make me, make me the light of the world. Do this in me, God. I, I really want, to show your love to a hurting world. In fact, if you want to pray a bold prayer with me, I'm, I'm going to be praying this to God right now. I'm saying, God, when I've become cynical, where I've become cynical, where I've believed too much in capitalism and meritocracy, and I've lost compassion, forgive me. Come on, say that to him. If you need to forgive, if you need forgiveness, say, God, if my heart, my heart has become hard, Guys, because we don't know what people go through. Sometimes people do have a good job and they do work hard and they lose the job and they lose their home and they lose their dignity and they lose their car. They lose their transportation and it becomes this vicious cycle where they can't get to work. People fall on very hard times. We got to let the Holy Spirit make us compassionate again. Holy Spirit, Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Make us compassionate. Help us to see people. Help us never to be the Pharisee and the Levite who walk past the man in the ditch. Jesus, help us to see them like the Samaritan did 
and to love them, to bind their wounds, to wash their wounds, to pay for the hotel, to pay for the meal. Help us to give financially when you tell us to give, realizing none of it is ours. Just like Lydia gave of her home. My home is not my home, it's yours. In fact, can we all just say this? Say, God, my home is not my home, it's yours. My car is not my car, it's yours. My money is not my money, it's yours. You see, sir, for some of us, that is a new concept. We say, no, 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 no. I, I've worked very hard for my money. But sir, ma'am, every good thing in your life is a gift of grace. Every good thing. Your job is a gift from the Father. Your ability to work at your job is a gift from the Father. So God, make us like the book of Acts. Make us like people where... No one had need because everyone was so generous, so giving, so faithful to the apostles' teaching, Acts chapter 2 says. So ready to worship God every single week, so quick to, to listen to the words of God, to, to counsel, to biblical counsel, whether it's a pastor or a life group leader or an elder in the church, quick to listen and learn and slow to speak desiring godly counsel, not for a pastor to affirm my pre-decided decision, but actually listen for biblical counsel. Help us to be like the book of Acts, God. We're here today with humble hearts, Lord. We're asking you to forgive us for when we've become cynical, when we've lost our compassion. Make us compassionate again. We want to love you well, Jesus. Can we just say that to him? We want to love you well, Jesus. Can you guys just look up here one time? I, do you know a lot of people, they want, a lot of Christians want to know Jesus. They say, I want to know Jesus. That's really powerful and that's the best prayer you can pray but a lot of times it takes us years to realize Jesus is among the broken and the hurting. If you wanna know Jesus, get face to face with hurting people. Then you find out who Jesus is. Like I, I remember seeing a video last night, I opened social media and I saw this video of everyone, of everyone doing this big concert and praising in the streets, which is beautiful, it's awesome. Do you know who I respect more? I think that's beautiful. Again, I think it's awesome. I'm not discounting it, but hear me. I respect more the Christian who goes out every night and, and gives a meal to the homeless guy, the hurting person and prays with them every day than the band. And look, I used to be in a band, okay? So I love that. I'm not discounting that. God uses music. I'm not discounting. I'm just saying the days need to be over where we put up a sound system and lights and we say, listen to our songs and we go home back to a little bubble. That, those days need to end in the church because we do that really well in America. What we really need to do is sit with people and say, tell me your story. I really want to love you well. You know what I'm saying? The Heidi Baker kind of ministry. Are you totally out of money and totally out of hope? I want to be your friend. And I'm, and, and I'm with you for the long haul. Not like, hey, I'll, I'll just see you at church. Like, I, 
I'm with you. Come over to my house. Do you need a place to stay? You know one of the most beautiful things I ever saw at Rock of Grace? I've seen this twice here, where an Amish family got saved. They were excommunicated, and they got to live in the home of people in our church for a few months. That's the most beautiful thing. Isn't that beautiful? Because what did Jesus say? Hey, you need a place to live? That come. When was I hungry? You right? When was I thirsty? I was a stranger. You took me in. I was hungry and you fed me. That's Jesus. Jesus, you want to know Jesus. Rock of Grace, do you really want to know Jesus? Get face to face with hurting people. And do it long enough until your heart breaks for their well-being. Now you know Jesus. Now Jesus is becoming real to you. Hey, before we go, I want to just extend an, an opportunity to know Jesus. Can you bow your heads with me? If you're here and you say, I want to know the Jesus you've been preaching about all day. The Jesus who broke Paul and Silas out of prison. The Jesus who came and died for our sins. And like you talked about 10 or 20 minutes ago, Pastor Jordan, the one who actually died as a man to make sons and daughters of God. I need forgiven of my sins because I want to go to heaven. I need Jesus to take me into his family because I am full of sin and regret and I need Jesus to change me. If that's you, would you raise your hand nice and high and I want to pray for you. I always want to give an opportunity. Give you just one more minute. Yeah, I see you, sir. That's awesome. Anybody else? Awesome. Thank you, Lord. Two people raising their hand to give their hearts to Jesus today. Let's all pray this together. And if you're listening online, we've actually had people receive Christ online before. Let's ask God to forgive us. Lord, we come to you. Can we just pray this together? Say, God, I come to you because I see now that you are my father, that you created me and that I'm broken without you and that I need you. And Jesus, I need you to forgive me of my sin. I admit my sin, my regret, and my mistakes. Without you, I make a mess of things. Forgive me. Make me new. Born again. Make me a new person. Put your life in me. Thank you for adopting me, giving me your last name. Thank you, Jesus that your father becomes my father. I commit to serve you, to love you, to worship you the rest of my life until you take me home to glory. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Can we give God praise? God is so good. God is so good. I just, I just want to hang out here all day, but I know you're hungry. And when I, and I, already, and I already said, like, God does a lot of things over a meal. So here's the thing. I actually have an idea. I have an idea. I wasn't going to say this. this is a little spontaneous, but maybe look around today. Can you guys just, everybody just, I, I know we're all like right here, but everybody just kind of look around for a minute. Do you see someone that you don't know well? Probably, right? 
See if they want to have a meal together. And I know you already came up with a reason. You're like, sir, Pastor Jordan, my table only holds four. four. Go Jewish. Just sit on the ground together. Just get a bean bag. Could be a little awkward. I don't care. But just figure it out where you say, you know what? Can I take you out for lunch? You know, right? I know. And don't, don't pull the alligator arms. You got the bill, right? No. Listen, can I take you out for lunch? Means you're paying for that. No, I'm just kidding. Find somebody, turn around, turn around. Everybody look at each other awkwardly. Look around. Is there somebody you don't know? Is there somebody you can invite to your house or out to eat? All right? And let's really do this thing. All right, love you guys. See ya. Have a good week.